0: Listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Hey everyone, this is Pastor Dan back as promised with part two of the Beatitudes QA. Uh, Throughout our Beatitudes sermon series, you all turned in some fantastic questions um, following up on the sermons, and I knew that there was no way we were going to be able to get through all of them or even most of them in 20 minutes. Um, So I am kind of gathering together uh, the best of what was left over um, so that we can get through some of them and hopefully speak to some of the questions you all were asking. Um, If you weren't in church uh, this past Sunday, Uh, That's, I think, Sunday, September 2nd, Uh, or if you didn't listen to part one already, you'll want to go back and listen to that probably before you listen to this because we uh, covered a lot of questions there. Um, Also, before we get started, apologies if there is a humming noise behind me. That's my air conditioner. Um, It's going to be getting close to 90 degrees outside today. Normally, I'd have the air off for something like this, but uh, I'm not sure how long this is going to take. And I don't want to be a complete sweaty mess by the time I'm done. So, uh, just apologies for the air conditioner. All right. Let's dive into some of your questions. Uh, We really did get a lot of questions uh, after the Blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God sermon. Two kind of last uh, pure in heart questions that we have that I just want to touch on. And they're not so much questions, but I think they kind of help speak to um, some of the other pure and heart questions that we covered in the Q&A and that uh, didn't get covered. So here's one. Uh, the person wrote, I've always thought of perfect or perfectionism as completeness. I like the rendering of this beatitude in Eugene Peterson's The Message. You're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and heart put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. Again, that's a quote from Eugene Peterson's The Message. Um, I actually really like that translation of that verse. Um, it's, not, uh, it's not so much a, a literal reading, but it really does get at the heart of what Jesus is saying, and I think that might even be put better uh, than how I put it in the sermon. Uh, just to read that again, and again, this is, this is the translation of this beatitude from the message by Eugene Peterson. You're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind, and your heart put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. This translation really gets at the connection between the two halves of the Beatitudes. Um, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. We got a lot of questions about how can I know if I'm ever pure in heart? Is it possible to ever feel pure in heart? Uh, Is pure in heart something that you are forever, or can it come and go? And, And I really do think that this is kind of getting at the heart of it. There is a connection between the inward purity of our heart, whether our heart is set right, and how well we're going to be able to see God in the world around us. Um, if you find yourself unable to see God at work in the world, if if you see nothing but negativity when you look at the world, if you if you don't have a sense or uh if you don't even have a desire to discern where God is at work um, then there then there might be something that you need to do some soul searching about that that might get at a deeper heart issue here. Um, if you're unable to love your neighbor as yourself, um, if you're really wrestling with um, Jesus's teaching around you know loving our enemies praying for people that persecute us, things like that, um, I think those are actually pretty good indications that there's still work to be done uh, on, on our hearts. And I do want to say that I think we all have work to do on our hearts. Um, another another great, and and this isn't so much a question, this is more of a statement, but I love it that someone turned in, um, read, reading from it now, all the interpretations of pure seem to suggest always The rest of Jesus' message doesn't say that to me, since grace, forgiveness, repentance, etc. all seem to suggest a clean slate. So I think this blessing comes to us when we are pure right now. Not yesterday or tomorrow necessarily, but that is how the blessing continues. If our behavior and sincere intent is pure and loving in tune with Jesus' teaching, then we have found pure or purity right now. All the tomorrows are another opportunity. not so much a question, but I think a really profound statement there about how pure in heart is not something that we achieve and then we're done. Um, We're not going to reach perfection, uh, not even inward perfection in this life. There are always going to be dark corners of our soul. Um, There's always going to be idols in our hearts and things in our areas of our life that we still have to turn over to God. There's going to be things that we cling to. And I do think that the second half of that beatitude for they shall see God, I think that can be a really effective way to gauge where those areas are. What are the areas of your life where you are really struggling to see God, where you are really struggling to embody God's love toward those around you? Those are the areas that maybe God is calling you to work on. Um, So again, we got a ton of questions about that beatitude. uh, Really sparked some things for a lot of folks. uh, And that's great. That's exciting. Next one relates to blessed are the meek. This person wrote, Do you think all pastors or religious leaders fall into the category of the Pharisees and Sadducees and not the meek? That's a fantastic question. That's a pretty hard-hitting question, Um, but it's important. First thing I think I'd want to say, I've got to stand up for the Pharisees and Sadducees a little bit. Um, the Pharisees and Sadducees are often co- uh, cast as the bad guys in the Gospels, and oftentimes they are. It's often the Pharisees and the Sadducees who are kind of opposing Jesus. But let's talk about who the Pharisees and Sadducees were for a second, because a lot of times I think we lose sight of that. Um, <clears throat> the Sadducees were the temple establishment. They were the folks in charge. They were the ones who had been appointed um, by the Greeks to basically oversee the temple and really oversee the core of the Jewish religion in the first century. So there was a lot of corruption among the Sadducees. Um, They were an easy scapegoat um, because you could kind of, if you were just, you know, a common Jewish person in the first century and you hated Uh, the Romans, you could kind of just blame the Sadducees for a lot of your troubles. Um, And there was a ton of corruption among the Sadducees. That's real. Um, A lot of the Sadducees had it out for Jesus. They saw him as competition. They saw him as dangerous. He was upsetting the status quo. And it was ultimately a group of Sadducees um, who handed Jesus over to the Romans. That's all real. It's also worth noting, though, that there were good Sadducees. Um, the Gospels are very explicit when Jesus is tried before the council, before the Sadducees, that they don't have a, a quorum. Um, it's, it's an illegal trial. That's that's part of what the Gospel is getting at there. Um, this isn't the whole order of Sadducees who are condemning Jesus. It's a probably a relatively small group within the bigger temp- temple establishment that really had it out for him and that are you know, the ones who unfairly try and convict him and hand him over to the Romans. Um, We can't speak as much to some of the other Sadducees. So, And I I just want to say that, you know, I'm sure there were good Sadducees. I'm sure there were people, there were meek folks among the Sadducees who, you know, were trying to work within the system that existed to live out their calling and serve God. Um, So I want to defend them a little bit. Pharisees, I think, too... You know, the Pharisees are often the sparring partners of Jesus, but when we look at the different kind of the Jewish groups and the Jewish leaders from the first century, the Pharisees are actually the group that's closest to Jesus. Um, In Jesus' day, he might have been considered a Pharisee. Um, You know, he's never called that in the Bible Um, And I I don't think he actually was a Pharisee, but that's kind of the group of Judaism that Jesus looks most similar to. And while there are definitely some Pharisees who have it out for him, and there are some Pharisees involved in the plot to kill Jesus, there are also Pharisees who are among his closest followers. Uh, Nicodemus was a Pharisee. Um, There are Pharisees who defend, well, maybe not defend Jesus, but who warn Jesus. When Jesus is heading to Jerusalem... Um, there's, there's multiple parts I'm thinking of in the Gospels where Pharisees speak up and they warn Jesus. They say, what are you doing? Don't go to Jerusalem. Herod's going to kill you if you go to Jerusalem. Um, so the Pharisees weren't all bad guys. We also find Jesus having dinner at the house of Pharisees, oftentimes in the Gospel. Um, so kind of just the first thing to say to this question is that um, not all the Pharisees and Sadducees were bad. Not all the Pharisees and Sadducees lacked meekness. And maybe, maybe that kind of shows my hand of where I'm going to answer this question. You know, do all pastors or religious leaders fall into the category of Pharisees and Sadducees? Um, yes, in the sense that there are very corrupt, um, maybe even bad or evil pastors and religious leaders, and then there are people who are trying to do their best. There are pastors and, and leaders who uh, are exhibiting meekness, who are you know, working within whatever religious order or whatever church system they're a part of um, to really try to do good in the world. And for pastors and religious leaders, and I would apply this to lay leaders in churches as well, we need to remember that there's always the possibility of, of falling into the trap um, that the Sadduce- that some of the Sadducees and Pharisees found themselves in, where we become more concerned with upholding the system that we're a part of, the system that uh, maybe gives us a sense of power, or that uh, is how we get paid or how we get our health care um, for a lot of pastors. Um, there's always the trap of putting, upholding the status quo ahead of um, really living out the gospel in radical ways. And that's where I think Jesus' teaching around meekness is so important for me. I've got to remember this stuff. I've got to be centered on it um, so that I don't become like um, the Pharisees and Sadducees who were the bad guys um, in the gospel story. So, yeah, good question. This next one's difficult to read. Um, There's one or two words here that I'm not sure if I'm even getting them right. So apologies to whoever wrote this question because this might not be what you're asking, Um, but I think I get what you're trying to say. How do we begin conversations with the majority Christian righteous folks? And righteous is put in quotes. Um, I'm not sure what week this was turned in. This could have been um, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness when we talked about how sometimes following Jesus will put you on the outs uh, with your own church or with your own Christian community. And you can have other Christians who are persecuting you and they believe that what they're doing is righteous, so you're being persecuted for their righteousness, um, if that makes sense. So I think that's where this is coming from. Um, and I would just say, you know, again, if, if we kind of, it's, it's convenient, we can look at the other Beatitudes for a bit of a, a direction of where to go. If we exhibit meekness and humility, um, if we uh, seek peace first, um, do not don't let yourself get dragged down into debates, don't go in trying to change someone's mind, go in trying to be a peacemaker, um, trying to be someone who um, can humbly speak into the lives of of even the folks who might be persecuting you, coming at you in some way. Um, and also, you know, know when to walk away. <laughs> know when a conversation is only gonna turn into a debate and try to gauge what conversations are worth your time? Um, There's a pastor I really respect who, he often says, you can't lead people where they don't want to go. And I think where especially more uh, quote-unquote progressive Christians can kind of get things wrong is we want to bring everyone to where we're at. Um, that's kind of our version of maybe dogmatism. You know, in more conservative circles, it's people who want to convince you of things. they want to uh, make you believe all the right stuff, check the same ideological boxes as them. In progressive circles, it tends to be more of like, you know, we've seen something, we've had some sort of an experience that has, in our minds at least, moved us forward on a given topic. And we want to move other people forward too. We want people to be just as special, and, or maybe not special, but just as progressive and forward thinking as we think we are. And I'm phrasing it that way to show the real parallel there um, between the more dogmatic stuff you find in more conservative circles. Uh, because I really think the impulse there is the same thing. Um, so, you know, be careful what uh, conversations you get pulled into. Um, don't go in trying to change people's minds or trying to prove people wrong. Be meek, be humble, uh, be truth-tellers, be bold, um, but also you know, always, always walk first with love and with a desire to um, l- show God's love to the folks you're talking to and to really be a peacemaker. Next question we have here, um, it seems like a deeply personal one, and I'm not sure which beatitude brought this up, um, but it's an important question. What do I do with myself when I keep failing to do good? Why do I run out of time, energy, and kindness? Um, I, would, I would say because you're human, and because we all do. Um, I think, and, and I'm not sure what week this came in, I'm not sure what triggered this question, but this is, to me, it's part of the tension between You know, purity of heart, like we were talking before, and outward purity. Um, A lot of times when we come into a church, people have their best face on. You know, we wear our nicest clothes. Um, We really watch how we talk, and we're, you know, everything is great when people ask us how we're doing. Um, And it can make us feel, if, if things aren't great, seeing other people looking so great, looking so pure, looking so clean, can really make us feel... Like outsiders, Um, and I just want to drive home that everyone uh, fails to do good. That that, that's kind of the human struggle. Um, You know, Paul the apostle talked to this. You know, he uh, I don't remember the exact chapter and verse, but you know when he talks about how he doesn't live the way he wants to live. Um, You know, I think of a there's a there's a song lyric that is um, who I am is somewhere in between what I want to be and who I actually am. (laughs) And and I think that's true, um, and and this is part of, you know, pursuing holiness, um, inviting the Holy Spirit to do its work um, on our hearts. Um, you run out run out of time because time is finite. You run out of energy and kindness because you are finite. And um, I think part of part of being a mature Christian, part of being a disciple, is not is not. Uh, overcoming finiteness but learning to accept our finiteness Um, learning to accept that we have limited capacities for things like kindness and there are times when we just have to turn off and rest and um, uh, regenerate regenerate ourselves Um, so I would say don't beat yourself up over something like this we all fail to do good this happens to all of us Um, and that's where grace is so important God is always pouring out grace for us. God knows what it's like to enter into human experience. That's the whole idea of Christ. Christ became finite. Christ had uh, finite energy. Um, we find him going off alone time and time again to rest, to recharge. Um, and we should not feel guilty when we have to do the same thing. Next question. This has to do with peacemaking. Um, how do we become unanored to violence? I like that word "uninured." I'm not sure if it is a word, but I like it because it's kind of taking "inured" and flipping it on its head. Um, I would I would phrase this: How do we become resensitized to violence? We talk a lot about being desensitized to violence because in our culture we are always surrounded by violence. It's in our media, it's on the news, um, it's it's in what we consume, uh, it's in a lot of interactions that we see day to day, whether it's road rage or in line at the supermarket we see a lot of forms of violence i think about you know the oppressed communities in the united states put up with a ton of violence um and marginalization so how do we become how do we how do we resens our how do we resensitize ourselves to this violence that we've become so desensitized to um Part of it, I really do think, is opting out. Um, I think if there are any areas in your life where you can dial down the violence, I would encourage you to do so. Um, You know, if there's a lot of media that you consume that centers on violence, especially the glorification of violence, I would say dial that down. Consider maybe taking a fast um, from certain shows, certain movies. Um, I mentioned in uh, in one of my sermons that this happened to me um, just by having kids. You can't watch as much violent stuff anymore. Um, So that would be one step. And then I'd also say apply that to the rest of our lives. What are the triggers? What are the things that cause you to act or behave violently toward people? Um, Are there places you need to avoid? Are there conversations you need to walk away from? Um, Are there toxic people in your life that um, trigger you in some way to behave in, in a less-than-Christian way. Um, identify those things and walk away from them. The only way to become uninored, to, to resensitize ourselves, is to create some distance between us and the violence that we so often encounter. We have two more questions that I want to make sure we get to. Um, these are both a bit more broad, though, so I'm not sure if we're going to be able to do either one of them justice. The first is, how can we deal with politics constructively? Uh, I'm not sure which week this came in or what Beatitude kind of prompted this. Uh, we got at, throughout this series, of, um, you know, a lot of the political realities of Jesus' day and really the political nature of a lot of these Beatitudes. Um, and that's something you find with the entire Bible. Um, th- there are a lot of people that don't like faith and politics mixing, and I totally understand that. I'm all for... Uh, separation in church and st- uh, of church and state, um, but at the same time, politics is part of life, and faith, uh, especially the Christian faith, at least, uh, should touch our entire lives, and that includes our political life, uh, our political lives. So, <clears throat> on the one hand, I would say start personally. Um, politics can very easily and very quickly become an idol. So the first the first thing would be to kind of check your own heart. This this touches on some of the pure and heart stuff we talked about. Are you a Christian first, or are you a Democrat or Republican or whatever first? Um, do you have political idols you need to deal with? Um, has your political ideology become a, a something that competes with your faith in Christ? Um, that would that would be the first question before we start getting into conversations with others or political activism, I'd say, you know, look at your heart um, and kind of examine that. From there, um, kind of back to what I said with some of the previous questions, how how you deal with politics constructively. If we're talking about political discussions, um, I do think as Christians that we need to exhibit meekness and humility. We shouldn't be out to convert people to our political opinion. Um, but we should be working constructively um, to stand for things that we believe in, um, to advocate for the powerless, um, you know, to, to stand for, you know, whatever it is that God has let us, uh, let our convictions to center on. We should take firm stances in that. Um, but we still have a responsibility to always walk in love and come first enter into any political conversation, first and foremost, acknowledging the full humanity um, and the the fact that the people that we're talking to are also made in God's image. Um, They're God's kids, too. Um, And I I think if we do those two things, I think if we exercise grace and humility, and if we are checking our own hearts, um, then I I think we'll be okay in how we engage with politics. And I'd say, too, that that The world, and and at least our own country, really needs those two things. We really need um, Christians and and others to kind of check where politics lies in their life and check their idols. And at the same time, we really need uh, more people who will deal graciously with their so-called political opponents. Um, So if we can do those two things, I think we can be very constructive in our political engagement. <clears throat> Last question, and again, this is, this is a really broad one. There's no way we're going to really even scratch the surface here. Um, but it's, can we talk a little about the difference between Judaism and Christianity? Fantastic question. Uh, that's a question that has filled and could fill many hundreds, if not thousands, of volumes. Um, and it's something that comes up in my preaching a lot, um, for reasons that we might get to in this answer. Um, But yeah, so the difference between Judaism and Christianity, obviously today Judaism and Christianity are two different religions, but it wasn't always that way. Christianity started as a sect within Judaism. Um, In the first century, uh, Judaism itself had a lot of different sects. There were a lot of different groups um, that kind of had their own ideas about what Judaism was. There were the Pharisees. There were the Essenes. That's a group similar to what uh, we think John the Baptist was probably leading out in the desert. Um, you know, there were there were radical um, political groups within Judaism. Uh, the Zealots would be one uh, that had more of a militant, uh, you might even call like a terrorist version of the religion. And Christianity started um, as another one of these sects within Judaism. Um and somewhere along the line, I'd say probably the latter part of the first century and early second century, you see this real hard division uh, between the, the Christian sect and the rest of Judaism. As Christianity becomes uh, more of its own thing and attracts more and more Gentiles, more and more non-Jews, you, you start to see all the old divisions between Jews and Gentiles kind of come into Judaism and Christianity. Um, as we get into the latter second century, um, you see, and, and the third century, you see less and less Jewish Christians and more and more Christianity becoming a Gentile religion. Um, and I think that's a real shame. I think anytime there's a division, there's a lot that's lost. Um, and, and this was kind of the first big division that at least the church was a part of. You know, there have been others. There's the division between. Uh, the, the Western Church and the Eastern Church um, that happened around the year 1000. That was a split between the Roman Catholics and the Eastern Orthodox Christians, or Greek Orthodox Christians. Uh, you have the Protestant Reformation, the, you know, the split between Catholics and Protestants, where our movement, the Baptists, really came out of. Um, anytime you have a division like that, um, there's going to be a lot that is lost. There's going to be, you know, what's the cliche? Throwing the baby out with the bathwater. And I think with the split between Judaism and Christianity there was a lot that was lost that, that I wish wouldn't have been lost. Um, so, you know, as a Christian, I'm always going to try to hold my side accountable. There's, there's certain, certainly um, a lot of bad things done on both sides between Jews and Christians, uh, especially early on. But uh, I would speak as a Christian and say that Christians have been responsible of a, of a lot of evil towards our Jewish neighbors um, the mantle of anti-Semitism was really taken up by Christians and by much of the church um, in Europe, in America. Um, you know, not all Christians, of course, are anti-Semitic. That would, you know, that's that's definitely not the case. But you know, when you look at Nazi Germany, when you look at medieval Europe, um, when you look at other places that have been majority Christian for the bulk of the church's history, they have not tended to be friendly places for Jews. Um, And as a Baptist, you know, we have a history that kind of bucks that trend, at least in our early days. Baptists were the big advocates for religious liberty. And not just for Christians, for everybody. Um, Baptists were among the groups, kind of like the Quakers um, and some other groups, who actually took a stand in the early days of America's history um, for religious minorities, including Jews. And that's something that I'm very proud of as a Baptist. It's part of the reason why I'm a Baptist. Um, And it's something I think we need to recapture. But beyond that, um, as Christians, I think there's there's a lot that we can learn from our Jewish neighbors, from our Jewish ancestors, from our Jewish, uh, we might say cousins in the faith. Um, a couple of resources that I use a lot, um, it's actually two study Bibles uh, that were both put out by the Jewish Publication Society. There's the Jewish Study Bible, which is just the Old Testament, and then there's the Jewish Annotated New Testament, which is actually a study Bible that's just the New Testament, but it's Jewish authors and scholars and theologians commenting on the New Testament, uh, Jewish historians, anthropologists, things like that. I start with those two Bibles almost every week uh, when I approach a text to prepare a sermon because I want to see, you know, what was the background. Um, we forget that the Bible is, a, is an incredibly Jewish book. Uh, the Old Testament, what, what we Christians call the Old Testament, is the, the Hebrew Bible, the Jewish Bible, and even the New Testament was predominantly, if not entirely, produced by Jews, um, dealing with Jewish questions, uh, Jewish issues in theology. Um, so I, I kind of always try to get back to that original context and understand the richness there. And I'd also say, you know, to the credit of our Jewish friends, I, I really respect the way Jews think about God. Um, and of course there's many different ways that Jews think about God, but, and and the way that Jewish rabbis throughout history have tended to treat their scripture. Um, i think christians and again these are generalizations you know so what i'm saying there's definitely individuals on both sides christian and jewish for whom this is not true but as a general rule i think christians have tended throughout our history to treat the bible much more rigidly much more like a like a legal document or a constitution whereas jewish rabbis and scholars have generally tended to be much more comfortable with nuance, much more comfortable with metaphor, with debate, with having multiple opinions and readings um, of a certain text. Um, And that's something that I'm always kind of seeking after and trying to recapture and bring into my own teaching and preaching as a Christian. Um, Again, barely scratched the surface there because, I mean, you know, like I said, there's a lot to be said about the difference between Judaism and Christianity, but I would say we need to remember um, the Jewish roots of our faith, and I think there's a lot that it can teach us. Um, Thanks so much, everyone, for listening. I hope this has been informative and interesting for you all. Um, I know I've enjoyed doing the Q&A. It was a lot of fun, and hopefully uh, this is helpful to those of you who had questions coming off of this last series. Um, Thanks so much, and God bless. Thanks for listening.